Good morning, and it's good to see you all. Um, if you're a guest with us, as Matt said earlier, special welcome to you. We're so glad that you came to spend some of your morning with us. And again, we may be biased, but we tend to think you made a great decision uh, being here this morning. Uh, my name is Kondo. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, this morning, I have the privilege of continuing a series that we have been in that we are calling Unwrapped. Uh, we are in the third week of this series. And uh, this series is really a conversation about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. The person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And we want to take the most simple approach to this series. We want to talk about the Holy Spirit and His work as if we are meeting Him for the first time, as if we're having this conversation for the very first time. And we're so thankful for those of you who might be in the room who are, in fact, having a conversation about the Holy Spirit for the very first time. Last week, we took our first step in what tends to be the murkiest, muddiest, most controversial of all topics related to the person of the Holy Spirit. We started a conversation about the gifts of the Spirit. Boy, nothing gets the church arguing about the Holy Spirit more than the conversation about His gifts. And so we're going to talk a little bit more as we continue uh, that conversation here this morning. Um, and our desire this morning is to really start to ask the question of discovery. What is my spiritual gift? As we started to see last week, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit has given you a unique gift. And this morning we want to start the process of discovery. What is the spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit has given to me? And uh, so we're looking forward to entering into that uh, conversation. But if we're going to do that, we want to just make sure that we're all on the same page when we are speaking uh, about spiritual gifts. And so we're going to put this definition um, up here on the screen so we just kind of have a similar uh, concept moving forward. When we're speaking about uh, spiritual gifts, here's what we're talking about. We're speaking about an exaggerated capacity given to help the church see more of Jesus and be more like him. An exaggerated capacity given to help the church see more of Jesus and to be more like him. Now, this is very intentional. I use the word exaggerated very intentionally. Let me tell you why I use that word, and I think it might be helpful for some of you. Um, exaggerated capacity because... I believe that in many cases, what ends up being our spiritual gift is a God-given capacity that we were born with, that we had certain abilities or certain skills or certain propensities from the time we were born. But when you meet Jesus, the Holy Spirit gives it a heavenly charge and then charges you to now use it to impact the church around you. Um, 
The Apostle Paul was a leader before he became a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, he was kind of an apostle before he met Jesus Christ. But when he met Jesus, the Spirit took his leadership, and instead of using it to destroy the church, he now used him to build his church. But Paul was a leader. Um, David was a warrior from the moment he was a kid, before the oil was poured on his Head. Some of you were obsessive, compulsive, administrative, checklist people who had to have things in a very linear, sequential way. Don't blame Jesus for that. But when Jesus got a hold of you, the Holy Spirit exaggerated that in a gift of administration. I've been a chatterbox since I can remember. I always talked a lot. My dad was in the services last Sunday. He wasn't sitting here saying, I cannot believe you're up there just talking. No, that's been true since I was a kid. But when the Spirit got a hold of me, he, he changed and exaggerated some of that. It's not so much that he always changes you. It's that he will supercharge your capacity and then charge you to go and help build other people. To push people towards Jesus and to push back the darkness. Spiritual gifts. And so we're so excited to start the conversation about, well, what is this particular gift for me? Now, before we get into looking at what some of the biblical spiritual gifts um, are, to see if maybe some of them don't resonate uniquely with you, I, I, I want to kind of take us into the murky waters, uh, tense places when it comes to this whole um, Conversation. I, I want to address the proverbial elephant that's in the church room when it comes to spiritual gifts. And you're going to see in a second why this is important for us to take a sidebar to do. What is all the drama? What's all the tension? What's all the division? What's all the controversy about when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit? So I want to take a quick second to just kind of give a pedestrian overview of what the drama is all about. And the tension surrounding the conversation about spiritual gifts is really focused around the idea of sign gifts. Sign gifts. The sign gifts are a category of gifts listed in the Bible that tend to be more supernatural, that tend to be more humanly inexplicable, uh, they tend to be um, more miraculous in nature than the other gifts are. Sign gifts. Gifts like the gift of prophecy, which as we'll see here in a little bit, can sometimes lead into the ability to peer into the future. That's kind of miraculous. Or the gift of tongues, which includes the ability to speak a language you have never Learned. That's kind of inexplicable. Um, or, or unique revelations in the gift of wisdom or word of knowledge, as we'll see here in a little bit, which allow you insight into things you shouldn't possibly know. Or, or, or the ability to heal, the gift of healing. Those are the sign gifts. And the controversy centers around this single question. Are the sign gifts still operable for the church today? 
Or do the sign gifts belong in the early church era and no longer exist today? That's the question. Are the sign gifts for today? Are they for the church today? And how you answer that question will put you in one of two camps. One extreme is an extreme that's often referred to as the cessationists. The other extreme is often referred to as the continuationists. Now, these words sound bigger than they really are. They're really not as complicated as they sound. The cessationist camp is a camp that says all sign gifts have ceased, hence the word cessation. The sign gifts were for the early church. Uh, they were for the first century, but they are no longer operable today. They ceased to be useful. Um, and, and that is, is typically born out of a, a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Look um, on the screens at what it says. Love, verse 8, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge or special knowledge, it will pass away. Verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when, and this is a key word, when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And what the cessationist side will say is completeness here is a reference to the completion of the Bible. When the Word of God is complete, when the Bible is complete, when the canon is closed, we no longer have need for any special ways of knowing God or any special gifts or special revelation because everything we need to know about what God feels and what God thinks, He has now spoken to us in the completed book of the Bible. Therefore, the sign gifts are no longer necessary and no longer operable because the complete has now come. So the incomplete, prophecy, tongues, those things are no longer useful. And on top of that, if you do a study of the first century church, you're going to quickly notice that as time went on, not only were there less sightings in the church of these sign gifts, but the writers and the, the, the apostles spoke less and less and less and less about these sign gifts. So therefore, they're no longer operable. And for the church to continue to try and drag these on is an affront to what the Bible seems to teach. On the other extreme are the continuationists. Sounds like a bigger word than it really is. And the continuationists look at the cessationists and they say, mm -mm. the sign gifts have continued. They are good and well. And the argument goes something like this. You cannot build an argument from silence. The fact that the apostles may not have spoken as much about it, even the fact that there may not have been as many sightings of the sign gifts in the early church does not therefore equal the sign gifts are gone. That's an argument from silence. But more than that, the continuationists will say, keep reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In fact, look at what it says in verse 12 um, when you get down a little bit. Um, it says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then, when? Well, when the complete comes, 
we shall see face to face, because now uh, I know in part, but then when, when completeness comes, I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So the continuationists will say, hang on a second. The Bible has come, and it's complete, but I don't see fully. I don't know fully, even as I am fully known. I don't see face to face. I see face to page. So therefore, it stands to reason that the completeness that this passage is speaking about is not actually the completeness of the Bible, but the return of Jesus Christ himself. He is the completeness. Because when he comes and we see him face to face, we'll be known fully, even as we are fully known. And at that point, I don't need you to tell me anything in a tongue or to give me some special revelation or to give me some prophecy because I see Jesus now. Now, if you are sitting on the edge of your seat trying to decipher where I personally stand on this and to decide what you want to do with Mission Point or not, um, let me uh, tell you the answer to that really quickly after this commercial break. Uh, let me just say that we as a church have never made some kind of official statement when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. We've never said we are cessationists. We've never said we are continuationists. And we likely never will. Now, that's not because we are not willing to say what different ones of us believe. It is simply because I am convinced 100% when we all get to heaven, there will be continuationists and cessationists worshiping Jesus around the throne. And so if that's not a matter that keeps people from Jesus and keeps people from heaven and keeps people from knowing him and keeps people from the gospel mission, we don't want to make it a matter of division in this church. Therefore, I can lead on a team with people who think differently than I think on the issue of the sign gifts. I just know they're wrong. It doesn't mean they won't go to heaven. It just means they're not going to enjoy this side of heaven as much as I'm going to enjoy. So anyway, if there is any question in your mind, let me make clear. I have never subscribed to the cessationist view of the sign gifts. I just don't think there is biblical, biblical weightiness to the cessationist Arguments. Not that I don't see it. In fact, some of the people who I respect as smarter than I am believe in the cessationist um, position. I just don't think it makes, um, it, it's not biblically compelling. But the reason I think I, I hold more to the continuationist side of things is because I read 1 Corinthians 12, and 1 Corinthians 12 tells me that the Spirit of God gives gifts as he determines. And I just happen to be audacious enough to ask you, who are you or who am I to tell the sovereign spirit what gifts he is still allowed or not allowed to give? It's his discretion. He decides. So for no other reason, I don't think I can start to say, yeah, but Holy Spirit, I know you really want to give me this sign gift, but uh, after the first century, you're not allowed to do that anymore. He has to still have the prerogative to give whatever gift he wants to give. So for no other reason, 
I appeal to the sovereignty of the spirits to give whatever gifts he wants. And I leave that up to him. This aside is important as we launch into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We started looking at it last week. We're going to re-enter the conversation in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to start to look at a menu of some of the spiritual gifts that Paul says the Spirit has given to the church. And the reason we wanted to take that aside is because what you will quickly notice is the gifts the Apostle Paul lists in 1 Corinthians 12 are for the most part sign gifts. So if you lean in the cessationist direction, then you're going to read this a certain way. You're going to read this as maybe a historical commentary of what used to be. If you're continuationist, you're going to read this a a, a different way. You're going to read this list of gifts as what could be. And uh, by the way, can I say to those of you who may subscribe to the continuationist side of things, it is not enough to be a continuationist. Because there's a bunch of people who say, I believe those gifts are still for today. Yeah, tell me the last time you engaged any of them. No, but I believe right. Who cares what you think if you're not actually engaging these gifts? But this is important for us as we step into this passage in which the apostle is going to start to talk about some of the gifts, um, many if not most of them, sign gifts. And I just want to invite us to look at this passage remembering it's the Spirit who gives gifts as He determines. And remembering this, church, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are ultimately about the person of Jesus. They are ultimately to help His people see Him more clearly and be more like Him. I just believe if we leaned into what the gifts are ultimately for, it may help to dissipate some of the tension and some of the drama and even some of the sides. And I hope we'll approach this uh, passage of Scripture asking the question, Spirit, is there a way you might want to use some of these gifts to propel your church forward into the person of Jesus Christ and out into the world? Okay. Let me read um, this section of Scripture, and you're going to see uh, this menu of gifts that Paul lists. And let me just again make clear, these are not all the gifts. This is a small sampling of the gifts. But here we go, verse 8. It says, to one in the church, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. Verse 9, to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. We want to start to ask the question, how might you have gifted me? And my hope this morning is that even as we talk about some of these gifts, maybe you've never thought about them, maybe you've never heard them, but I pray, Spirit of the living God, that you would cause something in our souls to stir with recognition and say, I think that might be my gift.
Not just so you can know it, but so you could start to use it for the sake of Christ as his church moves towards him and carries him into its world. So we won't have time to look at all nine of these um, gifts. And so even within this sampling of gifts, I'm going to pick a sample of them to talk about. You ready? Good. Thank you. Um, we'll start with the second one in this list, what Paul refers to as the message of knowledge in verse 8. Message of knowledge. Um, the message of knowledge is referring to the unusual capacity to see and to speak what is not yet visible. It's to see and to speak what's not yet visible. This is amazing. And I'm telling you, feel free to be amazed. I hope the Spirit will vanquish the spirit of fear from this room so that we can actually be amazed and astonished by some of these things because it is amazing that to some of you, you have been given the gift this message of wisdom thing, which means the Spirit lets you in on things that there is no human way you could possibly know. You know something about someone you just can't and shouldn't otherwise know. And sometimes they don't even know. The message of knowledge. Um, and I'm telling you, there are a number of people I know in this church with that gift. God will deposit things into their spirit that they now know and are responsible to pass on to whoever the person is they've been assigned to share it with. They see it and now they're responsible to speak it, to drop it off, to hand it off to that person. And um, sometimes it comes through dreams. Um, and you can ask them. They will wake up and they will just know, uh-oh, I now know something I'm supposed to pass on. Wait, it wasn't just a regular. No, it was not a regular dream. It was one of those dreams. I know God has revealed something to me. And sometimes it's through vivid um, pictures or um, through vivid words or it, it can come through um, you know, vivid you know, visions at times as the Spirit reveals a message of knowledge to them. I can think of at least 10 times in the last two years that the Lord has spoken to me through this gift at least 10 times where somebody will come to me and they will say, I believe I'm supposed to share this with you. And sometimes the Lord uses it to call me out of hiding. Sometimes the Lord has used it just to tell me he loves me in moments when I'm questioning and I'm doubting and I'm feeling less than competent and I'm feeling like a failure, he will send word. And typically somebody will say, I have no clue why I'm supposed to share this with you. And then they'll share it with me and I'm like, I have a clue, thank you. Um, 
sometimes it's to prepare me for something. A lot of times it's because the Lord wants to position the church for something. Um, in fact, Mission Point, and I know this may freak some of you out, it may be your last week here, um, but, but Mission Point was in large part launched through this gift. I remember I was at a church somewhere, and my wife and I, like many of you know, we were like, we are out, we are going west, we are going to Colorado, and um, we are out of here. Um, and man, the Spirit just gave a stranger, I'd never met this person before, and he came and said, I'm supposed to tell you something. And he started to say things that were airing all of our laundry and destroying all of our reasons and shattering all of our arguments. And by the end of it, we knew, oh, man, we are supposed to do this thing. Message of knowledge. As many of you know, um, we are in the process of adopting three little chocolate frappuccino-flavored girls from Haiti. Um, because somebody had a dream that they shared with us. And they said, I'm not sure what this dream is about, but I know I'm supposed to pass it on to you. And the minute they dropped it off on our doorstep, we were like, we know what that's supposed to mean. And the Lord took it from there. It's crazy to think that some of you in this church have this gift. What's even crazier to think is that there's some of you in this church who have this gift and have not engaged it. How exciting to think about the possibility. But you know, you may even have hints of the, the fact that you get deep senses that you're supposed to communicate. I, how, that's crazy. I don't know them. I couldn't possibly know this about them. But I just get the sense that I'm supposed to share something with them. Or you are awakened with the most vivid and most picturesque dreams. And you know you're supposed to drop this off with someone. But in what context do you start a conversation and say, hey, anyway, had a dream about you. So here you go. And so many of us, I think, even sit on this gift. And I just want to say to you this morning, we need you. The church needs you. If, if the Spirit has given you something to give to someone else, we need that thing. Stop holding on to it. Plus, can we just go back to the fact that the gift is given to give? It's not actually about you, and it's not actually yours. So give it away. The message of knowledge. And I'll say this really quickly. It's amazing how many times people have come. I can think of a couple of occasions where people in the church with this gift have come to me, and they've come to me almost to ask me to do their funeral. Uh, it'll go something like this. Hey, uh, the Lord has given me something so delicate and something so sensitive, because sometimes he will. And I feel like I'm supposed to tell this person this really delicate and tender thing. And so... Um, um, I'm just saying, they're either going to thank me or they're going to kill me. But in the event that they should kill me, would you please do my funeral? Because it, is, it can be a scary thing. And I cannot tell you how many times this person has stepped in to do it. Because my response will always be the same. Absolutely tell them. My recommendation, ask their permission first. Hey, I have something I believe I'm supposed to tell you. But it's very delicate. Are you open to hearing it? If they say no, don't force it. But if they say, yeah, I'm open to hearing it, tell it to them. And amazing how many times the person has said, you have no idea what that means to hear from you, even in the most volatile 
places of knowledge. And the more they start to to practice saying yes to that, the more clear the Spirit is when He's leading. And I've watched this grow in certain peoples. They just become more and more clear and more and more quick to say, I believe the Spirit is giving this for you. Some of you have this gift, and maybe you've downgraded it to intuition, or maybe you're just content to, on the other side, continue to say, like, man, I totally saw that. I I totally had a sense of that three months ago. And you're content to say that. And I would want to plead with you, engage it on this side and, and pass whatever that may be to whoever that may be. Uh, Paul talks about the gift of faith. The gift of faith. Uh, this is the unusual capacity to believe God will deliver against all odds. Uh, this, this gift, this gift of faith is, is a person's uh, capacity or, or ability to lockjaw onto God's promises in certain situations. They are unwavering in their belief that God is going to deliver on a certain promise or deliver on a certain word in this situation. This faith gift is not so much the God can faith, it's the God will faith. Many of us have the God can faith. If you ask me, do you believe God can do this or this or this or this? I I believe God can. No, the gift of faith is when the Spirit stirs something and this person believes, no, 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 God not only can, but God will show up to heal in this situation. I am lockjawed on the fact that the promise of God will touch down and have effect in this moment. Man, there are two different stories I think of in the Old Testament. There's a story of three friends, um, Shadrach, um, Meshach, and, and Shug Knight. Okay, maybe not Shug Knight. It says a bad Negro, so I just figured it was Shug Knight. Listen, uh, the elders give me like one inappropriate statement every service, and I just use my first one. Um, <laughs> But these three guys are facing off against King Nebuchadnezzar. And they say to him, listen, you can throw us in the fiery furnace if you would like. But here's what we believe. Our God is able to deliver us from the fiery flames. But then they add this caveat. They say, but even if he doesn't, and thank you, mercy me for dropping a beautiful melody on that refrain. But even if you don't. We still will believe he is God and he is good. So go ahead and toss us in there. That's faith in the goodness and in the sovereignty of God. On the other hand, I think of the story of David when he faces off with that nine-foot-nine monstrosity named Goliath. David's approach was very different. He called his shot from the moment that battle started. And he made very clear, hey, Goliath, this battle, this scene is only going to end one way. You dead on the ground and me with your head in my hand. There are no two possible outcomes. You are going to die here today. I am beyond convinced the Lord is going to give me the victory. That's the gift of faith in action. It's not just that God could heal, but if he doesn't, I am convinced he's going to heal in this moment. I believe he is going to restore this marriage even though she's been gone for six months. I believe that he is going to revive this city even though there is just a gift of faith that latches on, lockjaws onto a promise of God and believes he's going to deliver in this particular situation. And for some of you, you have 
that gift, while everybody else is freaking out, you have this crazy calm about you that continues to remind us Goliath must fall. God is going to deliver in this situation. And we need that gift. We need that gift for for the moments when many of us, our faith is waning. We need you to remind us God is going to come through. Do not quit praying. Do not quit believing. Your great uncle, no matter how many times he's rejected the gospel, I believe God has something for that guy. We need you to believe with us. And let me just say that the gift of faith isn't just a deep sense. Uh, The gift of faith is a delivery system. Because when the promises of God, when the word of God is looking to touch down, God is often looking for faith. But will there be faith in the earth? Will I find faith among them? Your faith becomes a delivery system because when you speak and say, I believe God is going to do this, and then the word of God leaves heaven and it's looking for the place to touch down. When God's heaven and word meet with your faith, all kinds of crazy things happen. So we need you to not only believe as a spirit stirs you, but to speak what you believe to those situations so that we can grow to anticipate along with you. Maybe since you were young, people have called you this eternal optimist. Maybe it's more than just eternal optimism. Oh, you don't seem to freak out too much about things. You just have this crazy, steady state. Maybe it's more uh, than just the fact that you tend to be positive. I wonder if maybe there is the Spirit's gift of faith in play. But we need you to engage that gift and to speak what you are believing, to tell us the miracle is still in progress. Hope is still on its way. He will come through in this situation. Paul talks about gifts of healing, um, the unusual capacity to, to channel God's power to miraculously restore what's broken. An unusual capacity to channel God's power to miraculously restore what's broken. The Spirit enables certain people in the church. This blows my mind to be contact points between heaven and hurt. That there are moments when the Spirit will ignite certain ones in the church um, with healing power and enable them to reverse the curse, and restore what is broken. Um, There's a story of Jesus, which I find fascinating in uh, the book of Luke in the New Testament. It's Luke chapter 5, and it tells this really fascinating story about Jesus. It says Jesus is in a city called Capernaum, and while he's there, he's at someone's house. And while he's in the house, there's this commentary by Luke, the author, who says the Pharisees were there, a bunch of other people um, were there. And then it makes this really odd and intriguing note. It says, and the power of the Lord to heal the sick was present with Jesus. So I'm like, um, I thought the power to heal the sick was always present with Jesus. 
And yet there's this sense in which there are these moments in which the healing anointing of God rested uniquely on Jesus. Almost as though it was a heal now Jesus. Almost as though Jesus was now in a healing mode of some sort. And in those moments from morning to night, he would just heal a bunch of people. And that makes sense the more you think about it because Jesus would often say, I don't do what I want to do. I do on earth by choice what the Father desires for me to do. And there are moments when his desire for me to heal is palpable on me. When you read the story in Acts chapter 3, it's really interesting. Peter and John go to the temple to pray, and when they go into the temple to pray, they run into a beggar, and this beggar is lame. The intriguing thing about this beggar is it says that he's been sitting outside the temple for years and years and years and years and years. Rationale says... This guy had sat in front of the temple while Jesus had walked by him on many occasions. And the question arises, why didn't Jesus heal him? Because there were moments Jesus healed and there were times Jesus didn't. There were people Jesus healed and there were people Jesus didn't. It seems like the gift of healing works in a similar way. Where the Spirit of God will prompt somebody. Almost as though he allows you to know that, hey, the anointing is on you. The power of God to heal is on you. Reach out and touch somebody. I don't think it happens all the time, but I think as you grow in sensitivity to the Spirit, you know when that moment is happening. And needless to say, we need that gift in the church. I have a list of things I could ask you to please pray for me about. But we need that gift in the church. If nothing else, to remind us that Jesus Christ has truly overcome sin and he's truly overcome sickness. To remind us that Jesus' power is greater than anything and everything broken in the world around us. We need that gift to be activated, and to be used in the context of the church. But you can agree with me. This is probably one of the scariest gifts to have. Because if you venture out in a moment when you believe the Spirit is prompting you to be a conduit of heaven's healing and you are wrong, it's kind of hard to hide your mess and your mistake. And I think that oftentimes is a reason why we don't see this gift as often in the church. I don't want to mess up. I don't want to take that risk. That is too risky for me to go and pray for someone. But again, the gift isn't for you. It's not for your safety. It's not for your protection. It's not about your reputation remaining intact. It's about you benefiting the people in the church and potentially putting the power of Jesus on display in ways that stir the rest of our faith. And I wonder for some of you, it's more than just an obsession you've had with the medical world for a very long time. I wonder if maybe there are hints of capacity, hints of the ways the Spirit may stir you. And for some of you, I wonder if it's more than just an overdose of compassion, where you hear about people who are sick, or you hear about people who are broken in different ways, and it tears you up Part You are in your closet inconsolable because of how much sickness and how much the hurt in others breaks you. I wonder if that may not be a hint that the Spirit may be stirring something in you. And so I'm saying, give it a shot. 
I constantly have these moments of compassion. And I wonder if maybe the Spirit may not be inviting you to go for it. Spirit, I pray that you'd bring healing to this thing that has broken my heart beyond imagination. We need that gift in the church. It's crazy to think that some of you have that capacity and you've never even thought about it, never even thought to engage it. I can't tell you how excited, by the way, I'm about this series because I think the Spirit is inviting us to places uncharted. We've never been before as He transports us to new heights. And I think it would take some of us being willing to step into uncomfortable places and take some crazy risks. Might it be you with gifts of healing. And then uh, Paul talks about miraculous powers. We won't speak much um, about that, the capacity to reverse or suspend the laws of um, nature. And then he he speaks about prophecy. Um, Prophecy. Um, The idea of prophecy, when it shows up as a gift, is the capacity to call people to respond to a truth God reveals in a moment. It's the capacity to call people to respond to a truth that God reveals in a moment. I think the word of knowledge is something the Spirit will deposit in me. And I may not be clear about what it is, but I know that I have some responsibility to go and share it with somebody, and then they take it from there. Uh, The gift of prophecy is different. There are seasons when the Spirit of God will reveal something to you and then call you to call the church to respond accordingly. In fact, the emphasis of the gift of prophecy is a calling to respond. And so sometimes, as we saw in the Old Testament, the way the Spirit of God would reveal that word or reveal that truth to the prophet is at times by giving them a glimpse of what's going to happen in the future. The emphasis was not so much that prophets can see the future. The emphasis was that the prophet now saw the thing that God wanted to call his people to prepare themselves in light of. Remember what I showed you? Now command my people to prepare. Command my people to repent. Command my people to to turn. John the Baptist would do this. Jesus is coming, so repent in preparation for who he is and what he's going to do. But sometimes the revelation is not so much about something in the future. The revelation may be about something God has already said in the past. And this person may be stirred with a restlessness. It's like a fire shut up in their bones. And they just know I have something I've got to get out to the church. The church needs to return to their first love. I hear the Spirit saying, go back to your first love. Or I hear the Spirit saying, stop faking it. If you continue to act like you love Jesus, but you don't love the people in your community... Etc., etc., etc. It is constantly something in season that the Spirit reveals to a person for the sake of the church, and it's a call to turn, a call to prepare, a call to change course. And we need this gift for the moments when God wants to position and prepare His people for what He's about to do. And some of you have this trembling sense that the church is not moving as it ought, or you have this trembling sense that I'm supposed to share this with the church 
as a whole. I'm supposed to share this with my small group as a part of the church at large. But you don't have a position in the church, so what are you going to do? Now, I wonder if for some of us that's it. Like, I feel like I'm supposed to say something, but who am I? I don't have a position in the church. Um, you know, plus on top of that, I don't attend that often. Uh, plus on top of that, I have my own issues and struggles. Who am I to, to speak on behalf of what I believe the Spirit may be saying to the church? Um, and can I just say to you, by the way, if you ever have one of these compelling senses, the Spirit is saying something for the church can I just open wide the door and say, come and talk to any of us elders. We would be thrilled to hear it. Now, obviously, understand, we will hold every spiritual gift and every prophecy against the Word of God. Because I don't believe God is going to reveal something to someone that goes against what God has revealed already. But we would love to hear it if you have to say it. And I do. I wonder if for some of you, that may not even be part of the reasons why you find yourself constantly very frustrated with the church, super frustrated. And it makes you very critical of the church because you have these huge things you just wish. Why can't the church see this? Why won't the church just see this? Maybe because we need you to help us see it. You are that person who will sometimes sit around and say, surely among all of these leaders, somebody had to have seen this. No, We've been waiting on you to come and share with us what you see. And for some of you, I wonder if that's not one of the reasons why you're not often experiences like this insensitive jerk who just speaks the truth, blah, 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 without consideration. I wonder if that may be, um, you know, maybe a slight hint of the way the Lord may have given you capacity. And I say this not to excuse your jerkiness. I'm saying this um, because I'm aware of the fact that prophets in the Bible were not often liked. They didn't show up to make friends. They showed up to say, God is calling us to do things differently. And typically a prophet will be saying, you are all heading in a crazy direction. So prophets weren't typically popular people. People didn't like to hear what they had to say. But man, we need this gift in the church. And we need this gift in the church, if you ask me, now more than ever in this era in which we are living, to be prepared for the things that I believe are happening and are going to happen in the world around us. Um, he speaks about discerning of spirits. Um, it's the heightened ability to distinguish genuine from counterfeit, truth from lie. I'm right from wrong. Because, man, the enemy is so good, not at scaring the church as much as he is good at seducing the church. And the Bible says he loves to play dress up and he masquerades as an angel of light. So you are convinced God is leading and God is doing when at times it's the enemy who's just pulling us off course. Because, of course, you're going to say, oh, my goodness. And this person said, I want you guys to be safe and I don't want you, Jesus, to die on the cross. So please don't go to Jerusalem. Remember that scene where Jesus looks at Peter, one of his closest friends, and says, get behind me, Satan. Your desire to keep me safe is actually not of the Lord. It's the agenda of the devil. And in the church, there are people who can slice through all of the mess and discern between spirits. What is moving us towards God and what's moving us away? And that may be some of you. Um, we'll speak more about this next week. But let me talk for a moment about speaking in tongues. Um, speaking in tongues. This is, is the ability to communicate in a language you do not know. 
Um, now, let me say to cut to the chase, I believe here it's referring um, to a heavenly language that has no earthly interpretation. Um, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit first comes um, on, on the church, everyone spoke in tongues. Uh, when they spoke in tongues in Acts chapter 2, everybody spoke in human earthly languages. In fact, that was part of the miracle. People who were there from all around the world said, I heard you speaking in my language, and you guys have never learned my language. How did that happen? They were speaking in earthly languages. But uh, I think when we get to 1 Corinthians, it's not speaking about an earthly language, but a heavenly one. Um, look at 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2 really quickly. Again, more on this um, next week. It says, for anyone who speaks in a tongue in this context, does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by their spirit. This is not a human language. It's ecstatic speech. I believe it's those moments when you're in intense prayer and the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to pour over into utterances and a language that allows your inner spirit to communicate with God and bypass your mind. You have no clue what you're saying. But as you're doing it, your spirit is getting stronger and you are being personally edified. And you see that when we look at 1 Corinthians 14 next week. But there are times when the spirit will stir you to speak that heavenly language, not in a private prayer moment, but in a public worship context. Whether it's in a church service like this or whether it's in a small group context, he will give you um, some word in a tongue to speak to the rest of us. Now, that's what makes this next gift important, what Paul refers to as the interpreting of tongues. The interpreting of tongues is the ability to understand a language you do not know. And the Spirit enables certain ones to be able to understand a heavenly language they've never heard and translate it into English. And together, these two people, um, in a picture of the church working together, help the rest of us to get a sense of what God wants to speak to the church. Some of you speak in tongues, and you can attest, you have no clue what you're saying when you do, but it builds and edifies your soul. And I just wonder if there aren't times when the Spirit is stirring you to say something in a public context. And if he stirs you to say something in tongues in a public context, then you've got to trust that he's going to stir someone else to interpret that thing. And if there's no one to interpret that thing, you've at least grown in obedience in exercising your gift. And we'll talk next week more about what does it look like for us as a church to make room for these kinds of things. And yes, I'm as um, anxious um, as some of you are with that. But the Holy Spirit has given gifts to every single one of us. Now, the real question is, are we leaning into them? Do we know what those gifts are? And so even as, as we, we think about heading out here this morning, that's really the hope. Our desire is not to have some controversial series. My question is, if it is true that the Spirit of God has given us gifts, and if it is true that these gifts are intended to help us see more of Jesus and 
help us be more like Jesus, then imagine what will start to happen as we discover what our gifts are and we each start to lean into these gifts at great risk, at the risk of failure, at the risk of looking a fool. Can you imagine what will happen to this church if we start to step in? And so, one of the first questions is, how do you start to discover what your gift might be? Because we want everybody in the church to know so they can start to engage, so they can start to serve. Two quick things. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, here's where you start. Ask. If the Spirit of God gave you a gift, who better to know what that gift is than the Spirit himself? I would invite you, ask the Spirit, would you make clear to me what that gift is? And while I'm on this, let me say to you, if you know what your gift is, but you are finding yourself thirsty for more gifts. I want more gifts. I want to be able to speak in tongues, or I want to be able to connect with you in that way. I want to be able to have words of knowledge. Guess what? You can ask him for that too. I used to think you only get one gift, but you start to read 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, and it says eagerly desire the greater gifts. So even if you know what yours is and you're like, I want some bonus gifts. Ask him, as long as your desire is to be a greater benefit to the church, to help propel people towards Jesus, and to help propel people out into the world. Ask him. Second thing, serve. Serve. You may not know um, what your gift is, but you may be in the process of discovering it. But here's something you know for sure. That whatever your gift is, it is given to you so you can serve the church and help the church grow. So until you know exactly what it is, my appeal to you is start to serve the people in the church. Figure out a way that you can use your abilities or you can use your skills or you can use your resources, you can use your time to start to serve. That, that's my story. People ask me, in fact, you know, I was talking to my cousin last week, and she asked me, did you always want to be a pastor? And I looked at her, and I looked at my dad. I'm like, he was a pastor. I had no interest in being a pastor. Well, then how did you know? It's because what I did know, even when I had no clue what my gifts were, I knew that Jesus loved his church and wanted me to serve his church. So I started to volunteer, just like many of you do. And here's what starts to happen. As you start to volunteer to serve the church, you're going to start to hear the words of affirmation from people who say to you, I feel the anointing of the Spirit when you start to do this. Or I feel heaven touch down on earth when you start to do this. Or we feel immensely built up when you start to do this. And then you start to do those things more and more and more and more and more and more. But as you serve, I wonder if you don't start to figure out what those things are. And so we want you to start somewhere. Um, In your worship card, um, there is a section called Summer Serve. And under that section, there are some areas that you can start to serve in this church right now. In fact, I would encourage you after this service... If you're not serving in some capacity and you want to know what your gifts are, head to a table out in the connection corner and sign up to start serving somewhere. But we are even cooler than that. Cooler, I say. If you go to this web address up here, missionpoint.net slash quiz, you can in 60 seconds... Answer about four questions, and it will tell you, based on your natural capacity, the order that fits your makeup the best. It will even tell you, you should probably volunteer for this, 
or this or this. I took this last night. I'm like, that is so right on. I'm not going to tell you what it said I should do, um, but it was correct. Um, and so it'll take you 60 seconds. And so even as you go to the table and say, we want to start somewhere, while you're waiting in line, you can be filling this thing out and it will tell you in order where you can start. And our trust is as you start to step in, the Spirit will affirm through different people what ways He is gifting you. But I cannot wait to see what's going to happen to this church as we start to lean into the Spirit's gifts. Again, next week, we'll start to talk about what does that look like in the context of the church, especially uh, some of the sign gifts that we have talked about. So, Spirit of the living God, thank you for gifting us. Please make clear the ways you want us to serve, or please make clear the ways you want to, to gift us even further so your church would grow and Jesus would be glorified. It's in his name we pray. Amen.